Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your hosts, Sam Ostry and Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today. Maryland football, Maryland basketball, Maryland men's basketball, Maryland women's basketball. It's going to be a loaded show. But first, Ben, how are we doing? Doing great, Sam. Ready for this packed time of sports we got here and obviously a big month for Maryland football, which I'm excited to get into right now. Yeah, crossover season is here. When when we talk to you next, Maryland men's basketball would have will have played an official game. So we're in the mid in the midst of both basketball and football. So there's gonna be a lot to talk about every single week and a lot of content pumping out on testudotimes.com. But let's talk about Maryland football first, who is coming off um a bye week, a much needed bye week where Maryland was very banged up in their last game against Northwestern, where they won they escaped Northwestern, but it was a close game, and they were very banged up. Of course, that was the Billy Edwards game because Talia Tagovailoa, Maryland's quarterback, was out um, with a, a sprained MCL. The news for this week is he is expected to play. Coach Loxley said he will be playing. Talia himself talked to the media yesterday, so by all accounts, he is good to go and will be playing this weekend, and he'll probably be wearing a brace, which I would expect, like he had before that injury, but he should be good to go. Um for this this weekend against Wisconsin. The other injury news is um uh, Ruben Hippolyte was out. He's been dealing with with an injury all season. Jay Sean Barham, who's been the phenomenal true freshman for Maryland, he um he didn't play against Northwestern with an injury, but he's expected to go or we don't know exactly, but we we expect him to play this weekend. Um Gavin Gibson was out with an injury. Um I believe he was practicing Ben, am I right about that? Yeah, Gavin Gibson was practicing. He also had a knee brace on. A lot of knee braces yesterday. Um, Antoine Littleton also didn't play against uh, Northwestern. He kind of hyperextended his knee pre-game, according to Loxley. He was practicing yesterday with a big brace on his knee, but, you know, looks good to yeah. go. And well, then the final one is in that linebacker room again, which is very thin against Northwestern, was Vendarius Cowan, who um, he's a, a captain this week, so we fully expect him to play as well. So it was a much-needed bye week. Maryland fully got fully got rested, got healthy, which they needed to. It came at a good time. Maryland, of course, is 6-2, and two, and they have the hardest stretch of the of the schedule coming up off this bye week. They're going to be at Wisconsin this week, at Penn State the following week, and then at home against Ohio State, and they'll finish the season off at home against Rutgers. So it's a very tough stretch coming off. But first, then, let's talk about this Wisconsin game. Um, Maryland, the, the, they opened up as a 6.5-point underdog. The line's moving down. I believe now it's a five-point or a five-point underdog according to DraftKings. What what are your, some of your keys for this game? Yeah, look, it's going to be a really really difficult game and probably the biggest statement game of the year for this Maryland team. You want to prove you're legit and kind of avoid any chances or not avoid any chances, but go to eight and four instead of seven and five. This is the game you're going to have to win. Wisconsin. Under interim head coach Jim Leonard has kind of received a really big spark. Loxley talked about it yesterday. Jim Leonard, obviously a defensive guy, was the defensive coordinator there for a long time, former safety for the Jets, uh, so I'm very familiar with him as well. Uh, You know, since he took over, 42-7 crushing of Northwestern, a really tough 34-28 loss at Michigan State in double overtime. And then they beat Purdue, who we think is a a pretty good team, beat him 35-24. That game was never really close either. So, you know, this offense has kind of been rejuvenated under Jim Leonard, and Graham Mertz is playing really, really well. I know he was your guy, Sam. Not sure if he still is, but uh, he started as a freshman, now he's a junior. You know, he's thrown for nine touchdowns over the last three games. I think has a 159.6 passer rating and at least one touchdown pass in each of the last nine games um, per the Wisconsin game notes, which is also a a big deal there. So he's playing well. This offense is playing really well. Braylon Allen's a, a tough back to stop. 
I think the the key to me here is Maryland's defense getting healthy, assuming all these guys play. We got to see another clutch performance from this Maryland defense to walk out of Camp Randall with a win. Yeah, uh, just to first address Graham Mertz as my guy or not. Um, he certainly was my guy before his freshman season. I thought he was going to be a ha- Heisman candidate. What was I wrong about that? Uh, Got to find the clips from uh, Collegiate Chaos. Yes, yes, we would have to go back in the archives for that. I hope they're burned because I don't, I don't even want to hear what I said about him. But coming into college, I thought he was going to be a Heisman type candidate. I thought Wisconsin was finally going to have the quarterback, and it's obviously has not been the case. I mean, he he's been he he hasn't been bad by any means, but he's had some bad games. He's had some tough stretchers, um, and he has not been the player I thought he would be. But like you said, he is playing well. Um, as of late, which has kind of been the spark for this, for this Wisconsin offense that was kind of dead in the water in, in the in the early going of the season, <clears throat> which led them to firing uh, their, their coach, of course. Um, so th- really, the thing for me in this game is is you have to put pressure on Graham Mertz. The thing we've seen all season, um, really in his entire career, is if you put pressure on Graham Mertz, make him make difficult decisions, he's going to have turnovers. He's not going to be accurate throwing the football. That's what we've seen from him. And Maryland has really struggled to put pressure on the quarterback at consistent moments this season. It's really been the secondary that is that has been the backbone of the defense. But if they can, if they can create pressure, you know, just 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 move the line back and dominate the line of scrimmage defensively because we'll talk about the offense too. It'll be important to do that too. But if they can dominate the line of scrimmage defensively and put that pressure on Graham Mertz, the defense is going to have a much easier time uh, creating some takeaways and takeaways are going to be really important when you're on the road um, in Camp Randall, a tough environment to play in. I don't believe Maryland has played at Camp Randall um, under, under Loxley. And yeah, they have no i'm just I'm confirming your your uh intuition there yeah so so it's going to be really difficult um for maryland to go in there in a tough environment it will prepare them for the following week when they're going into an even more tough environment in state college at penn state but um i just i just think that it's really going to come down to, to the battle of the line of scrimmage and if maryland can put pressure on graham Mertz and move that line of scrimmage back and make him into difficult situations where the secondary can generate turnovers which they've been doing a phenomenal job of this season uh it'll be advantage maryland right and wisconsin usually known for a really good offensive line to pace a grounded pound game but looking at the stats here you know Wisconsin is, has allowed the fourth most sacks in the Big 10 with with 17 so it's not like this offensive line has been invincible this year maybe a little bit of a change from years past um the health is just the, the biggest thing for me to just emphasize it over and over again Maryland's defense put forth a really good performance against Northwestern in the second half again partially due to you know the safety play from Bo Braid and Dante Trader who've been absolutely incredible stepping up this year and being you know Bo Braid arguably the best player on this Maryland defense but Maryland was missing all of its starting linebackers against Northwestern which is of course no big deal at all Jay Sean Barham was out Vandarius Cowan was out and it's just like this team getting these guys back is just such you know not only a boost physically but also you know emotionally in the locker room you go into Wisconsin fully healthy, which we expect. You have such a chance, and then this this bye week really came at, at a at a really good time for the Terps. Um, so I, I think the defense is going to be ultra important in this game. Um, getting to the quarterback doesn't seem like it'll be impossible to do, like it has in years past. And we will see. I think that the second half defense is once again going to be a key because generating turnovers, which this team hasn't done in in years past, I think Maryland already has more interceptions this year than they had all of last season. Um, will be a, a big difference. And I think if Maryland can force Graham Mertz into making some bad decisions, at least later in the game, because I expect it to be a very close game, um, could be the deciding factor here Saturday. Yeah, I believe in Maryland's last four or five games, they've given up 
just three points in the third quarter. Um, and you talk about their second half defense. It's been phenomenal. And that's really been the difference of, of these last few games. They've, they've since Purdue game, even though their second half defense and third quarter defense was phenomenal, getting three takeaways in that third quarter against Purdue. And they still lost somehow. A game that they really wish and every Maryland fans fan wishes they really got back. And when, when they look back at the season, it'll be like, how in the world did they not beat Purdue? But that's a, it's a conversation for a, a different time. Um, when you look at the second half defense, it's it's really just been being able to generate turnovers. And and the thing about playing Wisconsin is I don't think it's going to be just a, a second half thing. If Maryland's defense, if Maryland's going to win the game, they're going to have to be a, put together a complete game. And yeah, it's been the adjustments. It's it's when the other team doesn't have a script to go to go off of like they do in the first half and the early going of games. But it's it's really just it's going to be really important for uh, Maryland to 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 have a better defense from the start. If Wisconsin loves to run the ball, they're fifth in the Big Ten in rushing, and Maryland's really sixth. But So Maryland's not too far behind. But Wisconsin loves to run the ball, control the clock. That's been their identity for a long time. And and Maryland has a really, really struggles against the against the run. The, the rush defense has been really inconsistent this year. But if they can somehow step up their defense in the first quarter um, right from the get-go instead of waiting to that second half, because this is too talented of a team where it's going to be it's going to be difficult to kind of be reeling starting in the second half. If they can put it, that defense performance together in the first half for the first time this season, really, um, th- that'll be a huge kick. I agree. You got to really set the tone with defense here. And, and Wisconsin, middle of the pack offense in the Big Ten scoring-wise, Good offense, talented team. You know, they were ranked highly going into the season for a reason. And, of course, it spiraled, but kind of playing better, at least on the offensive side of the ball as of late since Jim Leonard took over. So I agree with you there, Sam. I think setting the tone with defense is going to be really, really important. And, you know, not only that, because, uh, you know, we've been talking about the defense and the health a lot. But, you know, giving you a segue here with Talia coming back for the offense, it's such a big deal to kind of get that boost emotionally and physically that we were talking about with the defensive injuries on the offensive side of the ball, kind of coming into this game with, with new energy as well. Yeah, well, we should say Billy Edwards did a phenomenal job in a backup role against Northwestern. He let, obviously it was Roman Hemby that had the huge day, um, three touchdowns, phenomenal rushing game. They they really uh, they 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 Roman Hemby is the one that carried them to victory. But Billy Edwards did his job as the backup quarterback, albeit against a really bad Northwestern team, probably the worst in the Big Ten but he still did his job. Now Talia comes back in well-rested, presumably healthy, wearing that brace. And it's going to be a huge game for the wide receivers to get involved. And it really could be a breakout game um, for some of those guys like Dante Demas, who has still been struggling where Kim Jarrett's probably been the most consistent guy, but just Sean Jones, Jacob Copeland, any of those guys could break out any single time. And of course the tight ends and Corey Deitches and CJ Dupree, um, uh, Talia's like, likes them as a target a lot, but this offense really needs to click and they're going to have to have a, a phenomenal performance because I don't know if the, if Wisconsin doesn't have, you'd like you said, they don't have some amazing offense, the middle of the pack offense, but with Maryland's defense, they, they may be, they may give up a lot of points and control the clock a lot. I think Maryland's going to have to take advantage of all the possessions. You can't have stagnant um, plays in the middle of the second or third quarter, which we've seen a lot from this Maryland offense. You kind of, you need to keep clicking. You need to explore the deep ball a lot. You need to establish the run early with Roman Hemby, which I'm sure they'll do. That's been a part of their game plan. But with Talia back in the fold, you got to get him in a rhythm. And this offense, I expect them. Wisconsin has good defense, no doubt. But I expect this offense to to have a phenomenal day and kind of potentially, like I see a huge breakout game from the receiving group and maybe they have the best offense performance of the year. 
Yeah, wouldn't be shocked to see that as well. I think establishing the run game is going to be the number one thing here. Obviously, all attention is going to be with Talia coming back from that sprained MCL, only missing one game kind of miraculously there and uh, avoiding serious injury, something that you know he and, and the program were scared about. But Roman Hemby is, has been a star for this offense. He's been a guy that has won them multiple games this season, kind of carried them to that win against Northwestern, like you said. I mean, this guy is, is a superstar. We've talked about it in depth in last week's podcast and, and throughout the season. Get this guy the ball. Uh, you know, you establish him in the running game early, in the passing game, maybe a couple catches out of the backfield, and then mix him up with Antoine Littleton, assuming he gets healthy and, and can play Saturday. That's really going to open up these big plays for you in, in the passing game. And, you know, we will see. Wisconsin does have, I think, a solid defense uh, interceptions-wise. I think they're second in the Big Ten. They are, um, yeah. They, 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 they have 14 interceptions. interceptions this year. Yeah, so they've, they've been able to generate some takeaways. But a way to kind of, you know, settle that, and as we've seen all season, establish the run game. It has to happen. Don't want to see any play calling where they kind of open up with one run and then go to a bubble screen, and then you're faced with a third down and long early. Maryland has excelled in scoring in these first drives uh, throughout the season. The only first drive they haven't scored in in a game this season was, I think, against Northwestern. And then, you know, they count that Michigan game as one, but Ty Felton fumbling the kickoff there as well. Maryland every, time Talia, play- every time Talia's in, they've scored right, in the first drive. Right, yes. And, and Maryland scripted plays have been really good for those first 10, 15 play drives. Um, I think it, that's going to be the key to this game offensively for the Terps. You got to establish the run early. It'll open up the pass. And like you said, maybe we do see a breakout game from Dante Demas. I think if you have anything circled here, I think that would be it. Just given the bye week, yeah, you have to think he's, you know, 100% healthy at this point, um, given that he's played the whole season, maybe if not 100, pretty close to it. Um, and, and we've saw him kind of get that twitch back, get that athleticism back in, in the past couple of weeks, you know, against Indiana and Northwestern. So I think that the run game can really open up some big plays. And I'd like to see Talia take some shots downfield. He's overthrown some deep balls so far this year, but we've also seen what he can do as, as a deep passer in his Maryland career. So I'd like to see, you know, the run game with Hemby open up some of these explosive plays and kind of we see this Maryland offense on full tilt with what we expected yeah. into the year. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at almost any game and, and look at the keys as whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win the game and whoever um, can generate the most big plays is also going to win the game. I think those are two keys that coaches talk about going into every game. But the thing about this one is Talia really needs to be good with his decision making. I mean, I, I was going to go there, too, that Wisconsin, they're really good at picking the ball off. And like you said, they have the second most interceptions in the Big Ten trailing only Illinois. Um, So Talia and we've seen we've seen inconsistency I think for the most part he's been good this year but there's been a, some throws against Michigan there's been some throws against Purdue there's been some throws um throughout the season where it's like it's like that's just a really bad decision you shouldn't throw that ball and he immediately knows it after the fact um and of course admits to it but I really think his decision making is going to be super key here um you know Wisconsin doesn't have a great front. They they have a solid front, but they don't have a great front. They don't sack the quarterback a lot. So I expect Maryland's offensive line to dominate in those trenches. Um, but they do have a good secondary. Similar to Maryland, it's 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 really the strength of the team. Um, but if, if Talia has time and he can extend plays, he really just needs to be good with decision making because he can't turn the ball over, especially on the road. Without a doubt. I and mean, it, it's a great point you bring up because this was something we talked about at the beginning of the year and there's moments and games where you're like, wow, his decision-making has taken leaps forward. But then you look at, you know, a couple of the throws maybe to that Michigan game where maybe both those interceptions weren't interceptions, but the second one was, even if the second was, it was, it was a horrible, throw, horrible, horrible decision. decision. Horrible decision. 
Um, and he's he's made a couple bad decisions this year that have hurt the Terps. I, I, you know, you look at that Purdue game as well. He, he's got to have a clean game. That, that's that's a great point you make. It's, you know, what separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks and what separates winning offense from, you know, explosive offense that can falter and, and make a mistake and let a game slip here and there. Um, so I, I think Talia, we have to see sharp decision making. I think the running game will help him in that aspect, as as we mentioned with Roman Hemby. And I think, you know, these receivers, hopefully having that explosive game can get some separation uh, against a secondary that's, you know, forced a lot of turnovers this season and Talia's decision making. I, I think we will see a, a clean game from Talia. You hope at least as, you know, Maryland fans hope that as well. Yeah, and then the last thing is um it's converting on your defense's turnovers. I, I like I, I don't think anyone will ever get over that Purdue game when oh, their defense terrible. gets gets three straight turnovers to give the ball back to the offense. The offense comes away with zero points. Yes, they've done a better job against that against in the following weeks against Indiana, Northwestern, and converting when their defense can get takeaways, but those are bad football teams. Or as not to the caliber that Purdue is and Wisconsin right. will be this weekend against good teams. When when your defense generates turnovers, you need to capitalize on them. Even if it's three points, obviously you ideally seven, but even if it's three points, you need to get points off the turnovers. That's going to be huge. If Maryland's defense can get turnovers or can get key stops and give the ball back to the offense, the offense has needs to capitalize, and it's going to be tough in, in a very tough road environment. You know, like this, they're in similar situations, like. Jim, I mean, non similar situations, but they're both playing for a lot right now in different regards. Like Jim Leonard, he very well, well get that in, may get that interim tag off and become the full time head coach. But like the, that team seems to be playing for him, and and he's playing to get that full time coaching position. And you know, if they get upset uh, by a team like Maryland at home, that's going to be a very tough look to to try to convince the AD. Like, okay, like he would be two and two. He would be two and two now with three games left. It's going to be tough to be like, why, why should you be the guy moving forward? Even though he's a Wisconsin legend and, and everyone loves him there. Um, but he's he's fighting for a lot, a lot right now. And it looks like his team has been completely rejuvenized and is fighting for him too. Yeah, we we talked about this a few weeks back when Wisconsin fired their coach initially and Jim Leonard took over that. Yeah, maybe it's, it's a lost season in the sense that they're not going to win the Big Ten West and they're not going to have a chance to win the Big Ten championship or end up in the Rose Bowl. You know, this is a team that's now four and four. They're playing for Jim Leonard, a guy who's been there for a very long time, a guy that have the utmost respect for, and a guy that I'm assuming a lot of these players want to be head coach. So it, it's a huge narrative, and I think Loxley is also familiar with this interim head coach narrative, given that he was the interim coach of Maryland before you know going to Alabama and, and eventually making his way back to the Terps. It is a big deal, and, and that's the beauty of kind of college football in a nutshell, where you know, this game is equally important for two teams, one looking to take the next step as a program and one kind of looking to, you know, save their season and and play for a guy who you know, the program cares about a lot. Um, very subjective in the sense that, you know, different things mean different, you know, excuse me, different outcomes can happen based on different, you know, events in college football and, and success is viewed in very different ways across the country. And while it's not the best year for Wisconsin, uh, they're still playing for a lot and, you know, equally maybe important as what Maryland's playing for and, and looking to take that next step here in November. Yeah, when you're evaluating this team, it's really important. To kind of, they, they've had two seasons, right, before Jim Leonard and since Jim Leonard. Um, And you can talk about what happened before Jim Leonard, but it doesn't really matter because he's there now. Um, And it kind of has been a different team, but he's two and one. And, and that first game, he dominated Northwestern. They put up Wisconsin, put up 42 points. Of course, a really bad Northwestern team, but still. And then the following week, 
uh, Wisconsin went to overtime against Michigan State on the road. Michigan State actually won uh, 34-28. to A bad Michigan State team, but they're playing much better than when Maryland faced them, um, I guess, almost a month ago at this point. Um, they're playing much better than, than, than that moment. Uh, you saw them compete until the end a little bit against Michigan. Um, but they're, they're playing they're playing better, so I don't take that as too big of a loss. And then they beat Purdue. They beat Purdue by nine points. Um, before they, they were coming off a bye too, Wisconsin, or they will be this weekend. But before that, October 22nd, they beat Purdue by nine points, a Purdue team that Maryland couldn't beat at home. So look, this is a this is a much better Wisconsin team than 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 everyone expected earlier this season when when of course they 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 fired their coach and Jim Leonard took over. Um, should we get into predictions? Yeah, uh, let's get into it. I wanted to bring up one thing about just the the a big picture look at the the football program in general. I think at at six and two, and you know we reset expectations last week, but six and two, a Big Ten team, three and two in the Big Ten. Yeah, maybe not any great wins, but. I think two losses by a combined nine points against um, both Purdue and Michigan. I think this is a team that's being undervalued nationally. I I tweeted it out, and I think maybe the perception of Maryland football in the past has hurt this team a little bit. But you look at some of these teams in the the top 25 and and their resumes, whether it be UCF, Oregon State, uh, NC State, some of these teams, I I think Syracuse should not be there for a second. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think just just watching this team and what we've seen, you could throw out the Northwestern game, given the injuries and, and you know, Billy starting, they still ended up getting the win, which I think says a lot about this group. I think this is without a doubt a top 25 team in the country talent wise, watching a lot of college football and knowing, you know, the landscape of the Big Ten and, and just the power five and in, in, in general. Um, and obviously, Maryland has a chance to, to shut up the doubters this weekend with a huge win at Wisconsin that would surely have them ranked in the top 20 moving forward. But I just I just want to say at this point, I think Loxley's culture has kind of made this all possible and, and six and two best starts in 2010. Definitely the best team since Maryland has joined the Big Ten, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, just just wanted to say that there. I think this team's definitely being undervalued a little bit nationally and I, you know, they had I, to have I, a chance to make a major statement Saturday. I disagree with you a little bit. Um, I, I do. Well, first off, the top 25 AP poll means absolutely nothing to me. I try not to even look at it because it's just it just doesn't mean anything. Yes, Maryland is much better than some of those teams in the AP top 25 poll, but that poll is ridiculous. Couldn't care less about it. I don't know, I don't know why fans care about it. But I'm saying even the college football playoff committee rankings too. Though. Yeah, but 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 I, I disagree with you there because um, I just wanted to make that comment about the AP top 25. It's ridiculous. But, but I, I disagree with you there because... Like, where's Maryland's big win, right? Like, yes, they almost beat Michigan. If you if you beat Purdue, you're having an entirely different conversation about this Maryland team. I think this Maryland team's a top 15 team probably in, in all the rankings. But that, that's an entirely um, – but they didn't. They, they, they had every opportunity to beat Purdue, and they didn't beat them. And that's a really bad loss when you look back on it. But I, I agree that this is a very talented team. But, like, where's the big win? Yes, they almost beat Michigan in Michigan's first game after playing Cupcake, first Big Ten game after playing Cupcake non-conference. They almost beat Michigan, but almost doesn't mean anything. They, they struggled against Indiana. Um, again, they lost to Purdue, a game they absolutely should have won. They don't, they don't, like, where's the big win, right? Like, they beat a bad Michigan State team. They, they barely beat Northwestern, albeit without a lot of key guys. So, shouldn't really count in that regard. But, like, like how could you really rank that team, this team, any higher? Um if if they don't have that big win in the Big Ten or anywhere. Right, but that's that was also part of my point. Some of these teams that are ranked ahead of them, like Oregon State lost by 26 to Utah, and they're ranked 23rd in the, the college football playoff rankings. I, don't, I think they're rewarding some of these teams over Maryland 
who, you know, may not have that signature win. I think Oregon State's best win is against Boise State in week one, who's not the Boise State we've become accustomed to. And they're kind of ranking these teams maybe based off stories. And and I, I don't I don't really know. I I just think some people aren't paying nearly as, as close enough attention to this team that that, you know, is changing the narrative about what we've seen from Maryland and Maybe that doesn't stay the same this month. Who knows? But uh. yeah, I mean, I agree that in terms of the, they, they sh- there should be more attention being paid to Maryland because the culture shift, how great of how how great of a turnaround it's really been, and how talented this team is. But in terms of this season solely, with your with your blinders on when you're looking at just at the season, not the past, not not the the future. Um, it, they don't really don't have that big win, so it's hard to like value them any higher. I think, but I do agree that it, there should be more attention nationally being paid to the turnaround that Mike Boxley's done and, and how how this is the best Maryland football team in a while when they've been a laughing stock for so many years. They are certainly no longer that. They're relevant. And that, that was the big thing. Like Maryland football is relevant and they, they should they sh- there should be more attention being paid to them. Right. I mean, that's that's just like the, the basis of, of my argument as well, that like none of these teams have really incredibly strong resumes. Like Texas is 24 and yes, they're five and three, but they're also seemingly being rewarded to a close loss at home to Alabama when Maryland kind of did a similar thing at Michigan. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. I'm not. I'm not it's arguing kind of a that. discussion, but I, yeah. I'm just. I'm just saying the the attention that should be given to this program right now should be greater, and of course, it all has a chance to change. I agree with that, and and I wouldn't argue that Oregon State is better than Maryland. I wouldn't argue that Syracuse is better than Maryland because I think Maryland's better than both those teams, especially Syracuse, which I think has been an overvalued team all year. Um, but I I, I do. And Notre Dame proved that last weekend. But I do, but I do see just. I'm not saying specifically the rankings. I'm just saying like I see why right, they maybe yeah, would, yes, would want to leave them off. Of course. Um, but the thing is, before we get into predictions, the thing is, Maryland has every chance in the world coming up to get on that top 25 list to get the national recognition. And there's no better opportunity this weekend. Like they control that destiny. It's not like going to be up to to committee to leave them off anymore. They are solely there if they can beat Wisconsin this weekend as an underdog. And then, of course, they face a really tough Penn State team and then a team that I don't think anyone thinks they have any shot of beating in Ohio State the week after. Um, before we get into Wisconsin prediction, let's just break down that those next three uh, games. Like, like I said, at Wisconsin, at Penn State, home against Ohio State, where do you see Maryland's record being? Right. I mean, this is the conversation we had last week with, you know, this team is is better than its 7-5 and five record if it loses these next three games and then beats Rutgers, which would be, I think... Given everything that all the chances they've, you know, let the chance against Purdue, they let slip away and just the difference that we've seen in this team this year, I think it'd be a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I think eight and five of the bowl win would still be a good year. But I think for these next four games, um, Wisconsin will get into predictions. Um, I think that's a very winnable game. I don't think Maryland will win at Penn State and I don't think Maryland has any chance against Ohio State. And I think Maryland will beat Rutgers. So you're looking at, you know, I think at least two more losses. One definite win and then one toss up in Wisconsin. So I, I think seven and five or eight and four. And I think this weekend is going to be the really pivotal game and whether we see this team go seven and five or eight and four. Yeah, completely agree. Um, And I, I, I agree with the point that this team, when, if they finish seven and five when it's all said and done, you will look at this team and be like, this team was more talented than that. Like even before the year, even if we both predicted that, I think a lot of people predicted seven and five, eight and four um, around then around there but i do think that you'll look at this game and be like this team or look at this season and be like this team was more talented than that and we'll see what bowl game um they end they end up in of course but 
I see, um, look, Ohio State, we don't even need to talk about right now because they have no shot of winning even at home. Penn State, I thought, was a very winnable game before the season. And even in the early part of the season, I don't think Penn State, I don't think Maryland has any chance of winning on the road at Penn State. I wonder what that line will be, but at least two touchdowns, probably even more. Um, Penn State looked really good against Ohio State, even though they lost, kind of lost handily at the end. Um, gave up a lot, horrible fourth quarter. Penn State's really good, and I think their only two losses this year are going to be to the two best teams in the Big Ten in Ohio State and Michigan. So I think, especially on the road and in the toughest environment to play in, in college football, I think Maryland has no chance in that game either. And then it comes down to Wisconsin, which let's just do our predictions right now. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it on the podcast last week. I've kind of been wavering back and forth, given how inspired this Wisconsin team is playing and the road environment. But I, I think this is a, a prove-it game for Maryland, and I, I kind of don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. So I, I think I think Maryland's going to go into Wisconsin and upset the Badgers. I think it's it's a winnable game, um, one that Wisconsin's rightfully favored in, and I guess the line probably says that they'd be favored by one or two in College Park anyways. Um, but regardless of that, um, I, I think Maryland kind of these keys that we gave to the game earlier, I think they kind of come to fruition. I think Talia plays a smart game. I think Maryland establishes the run with Roman Hemby. And I think this defense comes up big once again, because like we said, this Wisconsin offense isn't world beaters. I think the pass rush is going to be key. Darrell and Chami, who's, you know, kind of had a bit of a breakout year here, maybe can get a sack or two. Jay Sean Barham coming back would be huge as well. Um, and I, I just think this defense puts forth a complete game as well. I think it's going to be a, a really big battle. I don't think, I think 51 is probably a, a fair over under for this game. Um, but I think Maryland's going to win this game by three points. And I think you've, you know, that story you wrote on Shatter Island and we've kind of been talking about it all year. Maybe he has his moment. Maybe this is the game where he he comes through with, with a major field goal and a big moment as well. I think Maryland goes into Wisconsin. I think the Terps win this game. I'm going to go. Hmm. I think the under will hit and 24, 21 Maryland is going to be my final prediction here. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with a lot, and I think this is a complete toss-up game. If you're better, I would stay far away from this game. The line is moving favor in in moving moving in the favor of Maryland, excuse me. But I this is a really tough game because they're both off a of bye week. You don't know what kind of um things they've implemented on that bye week. I'm sure they both like this is Maryland knows that if they lose this, they're likely going to go on a three game losing streak. Of course, that's not how they think, but everyone knows that. Um. And they they really want to avoid a three-game losing streak going into that last game of the season against Rutgers. They've gone on three-game losing streaks every single season, it seems like. Um, so they, they did it last year when they had that, that tough stretch. If you're really making the next step of a program, as a program, you can't be losing. You can't go on a three-game losing streak in the Big Ten at some point. Um, I, I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I, I do think that the home advantage is really going to help uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Maryland played in the Big House, but the Big House, I don't think. Not that I've been to Camp Randall. But from what I've seen on TV, I think the big house isn't quite it's it's a huge stadium, of course, but it's not the the atmosphere where it's not the noise that Wisconsin is that Penn State is. I think that might affect Maryland a little bit. I think it's gonna be a phenomenal game and I'm just kind of stalling right now because I really don't know. I think it could be such a toss up. It would not shock me if Maryland wins. My instinct is to say that Wisconsin wins 30 to 27. I think the over hits um, that would that would be. I said 30 to 27, that'd be 57. Um, that would hit the over, right? Yeah. yeah. I just think, I think, Mar- I think Wisconsin is going to be able to control the clock and, and dominate their run. And I think their defense is going to do enough. And I, I think 
I I think Talia is going to have have a bad turnover late in the game, and there's going to be um they're going to win the turnover battle, and that's what I said it comes down to, and, and I think they're going to win the turnover battle, which means I think they're going to win win the game. So I'm going Wisconsin thirty twenty seven. Um, a late field goal. It's going to be a very much a fourth quarter game. Come down to the wire. I I really I could see it go either way. If Maryland wins, I would not be shocked in the slightest. It would be a huge huge win for them. Um, but I could see it going either way. Yeah, I think we're in concurrence about you know what it's going to take to win this game, and I think that's pretty obvious based off what we've talked about and you know what the themes of this season have been. I'm really excited for this game. I think it's going to be a really good football game. Um, I will say Maryland has been competitive in all eight games this season. Like I said, all, they're only two losses by a combined nine points. And just, I think Maryland's been favored in seven of the games as well. Um, seven of nine now with, with this one, the Terps being underdogs. Um, you have to be competitive and give yourself a shot to win. I think if Maryland loses this game by double digits, it would take a lot of juice out of the season that they've had. And I think, you know, by the time that game against Ohio State comes around, that stadium is going to be filled with 65%, 70% Ohio State fans. It might it might be that anyways, but I think this is a really, really important game for the program that that can't be underestimated. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so that means if I think Wisconsin going to win, that means I think Maryland's about to go on an 0-3 stretch here, which could be could be rough. Um, obviously, no, nobody in, in, in College Park wants that. We'll see. But I, I just I think that I'm really excited to watch this game. I think it's going to be a really great close game. And then Maryland needs to win a close one. They lost. They lost that close one. I mean, they've had some some fourth quarter battles for sure. But that Purdue game, which we're going to keep talking about because they'd love to get it back, even though it's even though it's in the rear view. Um, I think I think Wisconsin wins this close one again. Um, all right. We'll see. It's it's. I'm, I'm I was leaning that way as well, but I, I feel like I can't back off my original prediction and. You know, if these keys go right, Maryland, I think Maryland will win the ball game. Yeah, that's probably the hardest prediction I've I've had to do I all agree. year. I would agree. I, would I agree. really yeah. like, and I think I think we've had a very good record, almost flawless. Except I think we put, I think we both had was uh, Maryland beating Purdue. Maryland beating. Yep, that was that was. Other, other than that, I th- other than that, so I think we're seven and one on our predictions this year. Yeah, we've been we've um, been pretty good. Yeah. But I think I think what this is our first difference of the year. I, yeah, I think so. Not preseason wise, but but week yeah. of podcast wise. All right. Yeah, and and look, and this like like I said, this is the hardest prediction I've had to do all year. I, it's really tough because they're both off a bye too. So you both haven't seen them in a couple weeks. Right. We haven't seen Talia play in in three weeks, so it, it's tough. Um. All right. That was a we went a while on Maryland, Wisconsin, and Maryland football. Let's talk about a little bit of men, Maryland men's basketball. Um, you know, they open their season on Monday. We're just a few days away from the college basketball season, five days away from the college basketball season. Maryland men's basketball will open their season at home against Niagara. Um, they have a little bit of an easy non-conference before a really difficult non-conference. First, before we get into the schedule, we'll break down the non-conference schedule. Let's um let's let's talk about expectations overall for this Maryland men's basketball team. Um in Kevin Willard's first year with a blend of new of new guys transfers coming in and returners that they've had um for the for the last few years it is important to note that i reported on um um this past weekend maryland did beat villanova in a scrimmage um they lost to virginia by it was a really close game against virginia 2 weeks ago they did beat villanova in a scrimmage at villanova um this past weekend um they they won the first half by double digits. They lost the second half by I believe uh, four it was, 
And, but obviously Villanova, they're a top 20 team in the country coming in, but they were without a couple key guys. Justin Moore is still recovering from the torn Achilles. He didn't play. Cam Whitmore um, was still... Cam, Cam Whitmore has an injury and, and he still hasn't played. But it, it, it is noteworthy that they beat Villanova. And Maryland was without a couple guys too. Uh, we don't have to go into that. Nothing serious. But Maryland didn't have a couple guys um, playing. I, it isn't... It's really... It's... It, it, it's kind of a big deal. I know Maryland fans ate it up. They loved it when, when you see Maryland beats Villanova in a scrimmage, the status that is Villanova, and people are like, oh, will this Maryland team be better than expected? I don't think you should read too much into the scrimmage, but I do think it's noteworthy that uh, this Maryland team has been playing well by all accounts in scrimmages so far this year. Yeah, you don't want to you, you take those results with a grain of salt, but obviously sometimes you can't help yourself and you know, being like, whoa, like, I expected them to get killed, but you never know with these scrimmages. Some guys will play all 15 guys in the roster, including their walk-ons. Um, but yeah, definitely some some reason for optimism there. Um, I think the way this non-conference schedule shapes out before we get into it, I think the fact that they have three, you know, penciled in W's to start the season is is big for, you know, not only fans to get a look at, at the team, but for the media and for Willard as well to see his team in a game-like environment before this non-conference schedule really heats up. This is this is going to be a really difficult non-conference schedule for Willard in year one. And I kind of like it, you know, right out of the gates, um, seeing if the team can prove itself and compete against some of the best teams in the nation. Uh, and, you know, we'll know a lot about this team by the time we get to what, mid-December? Yeah. But before we get into the non-conference schedule, let's just talk about what are your overall um, expectations? Where do you see them finishing the Big Ten? Do they have any chance of making the NCAA tournament. What are your overall expectations in year one for this roster? Yeah, I don't see them making the NCAA tournament. Um, maybe I'll change my prediction after the first six games of the season. But I, I we talked about the the roster in depth last year. I don't think the bench and the depth is, is good enough yet. Maybe it does develop over the course of the year. But I think when you're looking at the Big Ten at large, I think people are kind of with us on this one, Sam. I, I've seen as high as fifth or sixth in the conference, and I've seen as low as 12th. I think this team is a pretty big mystery heading into the season. You have some really, really good known pieces at Maryland and Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, and Julian Reese, who we expect to take the step forward as, as a big this year, maybe a little bit of an undersized big in the Big Ten. But even with that, a, a guy who could be a potential NBA guy after the season. And then a new backcourt and uh, Jameer Young and Don Carey. I have a story on them on the site that published this morning. Uh, two transfers. We'll see how they mesh. Um, that'll obviously take some time as well. Just a bunch of guys, and then on this bench, too, just coming in. So many different systems, trying to learn one under Coach Willard, which which he's talked about um, in depth, uh, not only at Media Day, but last week's availability as well. Um, I would expect them to probably finish closer to the bottom of that 5th to 12th range, prediction-wise, in the Big Ten. I was thinking somewhere around maybe 8 through 10. Um, but we will see. I, I don't want to make too many assumptions, given that we've yet to see this this group really – do anything other than three man weaves in the first 20 minutes of practice. Um, but, you know, the expectations are murky for this team. And I think rightfully so. I don't think people know a lot about this team in terms of what the rotation will be, who will be playing when, you know, what kind of one through five uh, mishmashes we'll see with this roster. I think Ian Martinez could start some games and then maybe the Terps go small. But we will see. I'm, I'm, this is why I'm so excited for five days from now, because we will know a lot more about this roster when we see this team on the floor for the first time compared to, you know, right now. Yeah, there's a bunch of things to touch on. Um, First, I do think it, it 
yes, I agree. They're not going to make the NCAA tournament. I do think there's a lot of mystery about where they'll finish. You've seen a lot of predictions go a lot of different places in the Big Ten. Of course, predictions don't mean too much. Maryland was supposed to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten last year. Obviously, did not work out that way for myriad of reasons we don't need to go into. But I do think um, this season is going to come down to those returners. And we can talk about the transfers in a minute. You did, you did have a great piece on them. But I think it's going to ha- come down to um, the jump that Dante Scott and potentially Hakeem Hart um, make this season. And, of course, Julian Reese. But I, I think that it's going to come down to Dante Scott. You know, by all counts, he's lost close to 30 pounds. Um, he's, he has more of an NBA body. He's in better shape. Going to have to play high-quality minutes and more of them for this team. And... Um, and it's really going to come down to his shooting and, and his shot selection. Last year, there were so many times where he was just chucking up poor quality shots and, and they almost had no chance. And I think a part of it was because as the game went on, he was out of shape. So hopefully as he's gotten in better shape this year. But I also think it's just um, it's putting him in situations where he can he can hit more shots, not necessarily ISO situations, but he loves being in that mid post. If you give him opportunities to to have ISO situations in that mid post, that's when he flourishes. Off the pick and pop, his sophomore year is when he was shooting phenomenally off the three. And, you, and Jameer Young loves to run the pick and roll. He did it at almost eighty percent of the time in the half court last year. So if you put him Dante and Jameer in pick and pop situations, that'll get Dante good looks. And he just Dante needs to be aggressive. You know, his his three ball can come later. He needs to be aggressive getting to the basket because there's really not a lot of guys that can guard him. And if he makes that jump where he's a six. 16, 17 points per game score and is consistent with it. I think Maryland um, may, may surprise a lot of people. And also, of course, Julian Reese, too. It comes down to, um, you know, is he a legitimate stretch big? And then Hakeem Hart, um, he's he's proven himself as a phenomenal defender on the perimeter, always guarding the, the opposing team's best player. Um, but his jump shot, you know, how consistent is it? How aggressive is he from game to game? Because he has the intangibles. He has the body uh, to take anyone off the dribble. And his, his handles improved over the years at Maryland. But he has anyone. He has the ability to do that. Um, is he that aggressive? And, of course, it's how Jameer Young and and um, and, and Don Carey uh, flourish in the system. Jameer Young is going to have a, a difficult time transitioning into Big Ten basketball and Big Ten guard play. Fats, same thing happened to Fats Russell. He figured it out as the year went on and was phenomenal to close the season. But that that wall comes because it's a very different style of play. It's way more difficult and it's a high it's a more of a high level style. So these things, it's gonna be a struggle early on. I say all this to say it's gonna be a struggle early on as all those things kind of try to piece together. Um but the last thing I want to touch on is the depth. Um, you know, this team does not have a lot of depth. And by all accounts in the scrimmages, Ian Martinez has been playing a lot. He will likely be the sixth man for this team, maybe even having some starting positions. Maryland fans do not have a fond memory of Ian Ian Martinez because he yeah. really struggled last year. He could not shoot the ball at all. He, As the year went on, it seemed like he lost his confidence. He was taking poor shots, traveling a lot. Um, do you expect Ian Martinez to make a jump? You know, Kevin Willard told us that he's shooting the ball really well. Um, he's been a much improved shooter. He worked on his footwork a lot. Do you really think that he's going to be a reliable six man and, and and that he has made a jump from last year to this year? I think, you know, you need him to make a jump. I don't, I don't know if I think he will. I think the team is so dependent on it. Um, he was, there were times last year where he was just, it was a net negative on the floor, to be honest. Um, the offensive talent and the offensive input just wasn't there. Um, had some athletic defensive plays every now and then you're going to need him to not be a two point per game scorer this year though. You're going to need him, I think to what Sam scored maybe at least six per game. 
Yeah, you, I mean that's gonna, all. Gonna... Like, but yeah, but it's it's not just that. It's not just scoring six. He's a good defender too. That's been a strength. It's not just scoring. It's not turning the ball over. Um, being able to be a a, a reliable backup point guard when Jameer Young's, excuse me, when Jameer Young's on the bench. Um, it's not just scoring the ball. It's just it's just being confident in your minutes that you're playing. Because, like, where else are you going on the bench? Right, and and we know the athleticism that this guy possesses. It's crazy to think that when he came from Utah, people were kind of scouting him as maybe a dark horse NBA guy on a team that was supposed to be really good in the Big Ten. And, of course, that all did not happen. Um, we will see with, with Ian. I think he is a major X factor, probably the biggest X factor. I think the biggest X factor in general would be the depth on this team, if, as you and I both discussed in depth about the depth. Uh, no pun intended there. But – with with Ian, he's going to be the sixth man. He's going to start some games. It was what Kevin Willard told us last week. We're going to need to see him. You know, we think we know what he can do in the defensive end, but I think the scoring numbers need to go up. I think that's key. I think we need to see him as a bit more of a playmaker, given that he's going to play some minutes at the one. And I think the rest of this bench, who knows who's going to play? I think Kevin said that Noah Bachelor is going to play um, last week. And, you know, we know what he can do as a shooter, we think. Um, maybe he... I think the biggest question mark with Noah Bachelor is if he's going to be a rotation guy, he's got to step up on the defensive end. I think the defensive end is is a big question mark for this team, not only with with Juju not being a bad defender, but being undersized in the Big Ten. Um, I think with Dante Scott, you mentioned his body transformation. I think we'll see, you know, a big improvement with him on the defensive end, given that uh, that body change, maybe some more energy. Like you said, I think you did see Scott get fatigued towards the end of the game. Um end of games last year and, and previously in his career. Maybe he can play some complete defensive games consistently. Uh, you mentioned Akeem Hart is a really good defensive piece on the perimeter. And we'll see with Don Carey and Jameer Young. That's kind of up in the air given the the change in levels here. Um, but, yeah, you make a very valid point about Ian Martinez, and I think the question will just continue to keep going back to this bench until we get some answers on it. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of hard to break down this team without them playing a game because there is so much mystery surrounding them, and that's what happens um, when you kind of have a first-year head coach coming in. So it's really hard to, like, break down this team without seeing them play games. And next week, of course, the, they'll, they'll start their season and they'll play, and we'll have a much easier time of kind of talking about this team, what's working, what's not, who's flourishing, who's not. Um, Ike Cornish is another guy that uh, I think it's important to mention um, that I think a lot of fans want to see him. We'll see if we do see him, but he, he's... He was presumably one of the best shooters on the team last year. He probably still is. Um, but the only thing we do know, there's so much we don't know about this team. The only thing we do know is they're playing an incredibly tough non-conference schedule this year. Um, let's just go through it real quick, and then we'll talk some women's basketball. But they start the season on Monday um, uh, against Niagara at home, Western Car- Carolina at home, Binghamton at home. That's how. That's the first week of the season. You expect that to be 3-0. Um, as normal with College of Basketball, you're going to schedule those easy games. And then... You have um, the the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off tournament um, in Connecticut, Mohegan's Sun tournament. You have St. Louis, November 19th, and then you have the winner, or not the winner of, you're either going to play Miami or Providence, depending on the results there. Then you have Coppin State against um, Juwan Dixon, um, November 25th. And then it, the really tough part comes in. So this is how you're finishing November. At Louisville, you start Big Ten play versus Illinois, at Wisconsin, you're going to play Tennessee in Brooklyn. You're going to play UCLA, um, and then you've St. Peter's, UMBC, and then it's the new year. This is a really tough non-conference schedule, especially that stretch when they've and this isn't this is conference and non-conference, but when they've Louisville, Illinois, Wisconsin, Tennessee, and UCLA, 
I think everyone expects that to be an 0-5 stretch. If it's a 1-4 stretch, and we could talk about Louisville because somehow they lost to a Division II or Division Three school in a scrimmage, which... Lord knows what happens what happened there, but of course it's a scrimmage. We don't we don't know all the details. But um that could be a one and four, oh and five stretch. And it's overall it's a really difficult non-conference. But like what do you make of them scheduling such a difficult non-conference? And what are your expectations for the non-conference schedule? Yeah, I think it's it's a good thing that Maryland is playing the schedule. Like you said, that four-game stretch where you include Illinois and Wisconsin sandwich or right before Tennessee and UCLA and then that sandwich is a trip to Louisville. God knows how good they'll be with Kenny Payne in his first year, but that'll still be a tough game on the road to end November. This is a really, really difficult, rigorous non-conference schedule. And I think it'll, it'll tell us a lot about this team early. And I think for a team that doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe they have those internal goals to win the Big Ten Championship and 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 make the NCAA tournament. For a team that no one expects to make the NCAA tournament, it's good to see because we'll learn a lot. Maybe they'll surprise some people. Maybe they'll knock one of these teams off. But we mentioned this Mohegan Sun tip off. You know, St. Louis is a really, really good team. One of the favorites to win the A-10, 39 in, in Ken Palm. You know, they bring back Yuri Collins, Gibson, uh, Jimerson, excuse me, the, a, a bunch of really solid guys from a team that should have been really good last year, had some injuries, and, you know, they, they still were pretty good. That's going to be an opponent that people shouldn't overlook after the 3-0 start. And then Miami and Providence, obviously formidable teams. Um, Miami's going to be really good coming off that Elite 8 run, and then Providence uh, with the great year in the Big East last year will be t- tough as well. Uh, we talked about Louisville, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Life's hard in the Big Ten. Those are going to be really hard games just to start that slate before facing Tennessee, who, you know, really – kick Gonzaga into the ground in an exhibition uh, last week, scored 100 points. Tennessee's going to be really good. I think the team that's better than their ranking early on in the preseason. And, of course, UCLA at home, which meant a lot more uh, five months ago before we found out that UCLA was going to be the Big Ten as well. But a really, really difficult schedule. Um, I don't know what to make of what a good record would be. You have to take care of the teams you're supposed to beat on the schedule without a doubt. Um, Probably going to Louisville expecting to win that game. Um, hope to go one and one at, at Mohegan Sun, but I think they're going to be the worst team in that four team tournament. Um, and then t- Tennessee and UCLA, I think Tennessee is going to be a loss and maybe you can knock off UCLA at home in front of a, a great Xfinity center crowd that, you know, we were accustomed to in the years past kind of fell off a little bit last year, but hopefully that environment gets back in with Willard, uh, at the helm of the program, but we will see this is, this is a really hard non-conference schedule and it will prepare for the Terps for, you know, what life is in the big 10. Yeah, I love I love that uh, Willard scheduled this hard of a non-schedule in his first year because that was again he's trying to do the opposite of what Turgeon did, which is what got him out the doors. He didn't recruit the DMV. Willard's doing that. He scheduled a cupcake non-conference schedule with a few exciting games. Willard, of course, is doing that in his first year. And the thing is, there's no expectation on him or this team in this first year. No one thinks this team is going to be good, and that's what happens when you have a new coach coming in. So it's it's fine if you're if you're scheduling these non-conference and you're losing, but at least you bring some excitement around the program. Tennessee is going to be a really difficult game. That's in the Barclays Center in New York. Maryland's a big fan base in New York. Um, I was in the Barclays Center last year when Maryland played Florida. It was almost like a home court advantage for Maryland um, because of how many fans they get there. That'll be exciting. UCLA at home will be exciting. Of course, they'll be playing them every year moving forward, but it's still an exciting game. It should bring a lot of fan energy. Um, I, I think they could be 5-1 and one going into that Louisville stretch. And then... Um, like assuming they split at Mo and Son and take care of business in the games they're supposed to. But then I think 
you, I think you're right that it's going to be really difficult. Illinois, Wisconsin, Tennessee, UCLA, and Louisville. I, I they could slip to five and six, maybe six and five, um, before they have a couple more non-conference and then really get into the Big Ten. But I, overall, like, yeah, they're going to struggle against those teams. They're not as talented. They're not as good. And this is a team that has a lot to work on, and they're going to get better as the year goes on. But I just think that. Um, I think it's I think it's great that Willard scheduled this difficult of non-conference kind of bring some excitement back, even if they go in that four game slide, which they might during the, the during the Big Ten slate, too, because, of course, it's a challenging uh, Big Ten, Big Ten slates, one of the best conferences, maybe the best conference in, in the country year after year. And it's it's going to be a challenge, but it's year one. There's no expectation. Why not take these take these opponents on and, and bring some excitement back? Right, and, and Ken Palm is projecting the Terps to go 17 and 13 and 10 and 10 in Big Ten play, which I think would be a, a good year by any, you know, sort of. Actually, it was the first win, first losing season in, what was it, like over 20 years or maybe yeah, more than that. Early 90s. Yeah, uh, it was the first so losing fair. season they had. So if they have a winning season off of that with with this roster that's not really Kevin Willard's roster at all against a really difficult, in a really difficult conference with really difficult non-conference opponents, that's a, that's a phenomenal year honestly yeah and and Wait, honestly, what, what was what was maryland sorry cut you off but what was maryland when they made the um the big 10 tournament uh excuse me what was maryland when they made the nsa tournament in 2021 2021 record wise i think 10 and 10 maybe 9 and 11 in conference yeah 9 and 11 in conference set finished 17 and 14 overall <laughs> You know the, that includes, and they made the NSA tournament. That includes the one win in the tournament, and the one loss in the tournament. Schedule was a little weird that year because of COVID, not playing as much games, but still the uh, same concept. If if you if you, but you no, know, it's it's a good point. If you finish around five hundred in the Big Ten, you're going to have a chance, especially given the strength of schedule that they have. Um, I did want to bring up real quick. Um, this team kind of gives me a little bit of of a parallel vibe, not exactly the same because it's a new coach from Maryland's first year in the Big Ten. I think that was the year they had the least amount of expectations. I think they're projected to finish 11th or 12th in the conference heading into the year, kind of similar now for the first time in a long time. And they, they shocked people, you know, winning a, a four team non-conference tournament, competing with the team like Virginia and then winning at Oklahoma state. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's exact differences there given that, you know, that was eight years ago and that was Maryland's first year in the big 10. Now Maryland's coming up on 10 years in the big 10, which is crazy enough. But I think this program has been a spot where fans may remember over exceeding low expectations and maybe Willard can do that. Like you said, not his roster uh, necessarily. And, you know, maybe not even, you know, the, the schedule he hoped to have uh, going into the year. I'm not exactly sure the agreements given that I think UC, UCLA was obviously him, but not sure what was previously planned. Uh, the hall of fame tournament might've been before him as well, but yeah, good, good tests for this Maryland squad. And we will learn a lot about them very soon. I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean that's the thing with low expectations. I mean, sometimes you you can shock people and you can you can try different things. Like Willard can can experiment with this lineup a lot. You have a lot of different guys opportunities because there is no expectation on him. His leash is obviously very long as a first year coach, not his roster. No one expects his team to be good, and that's when you can sometimes shock some people, and they might do that. And of course, also it's the style of play. He wants to. He's been talking all uh, preseason about how he wants to play with an up tempo, play with a lot of pace, get up a lot of shots, a lot of three pointers, and it may, may be ugly at times, but that's a more fun style of play that fans um, can and will get behind, and and it really will benefit them because they don't have a big, a traditional big. They have Julian Reese, of course, back there, but he can stretch the floor and shoot it as well. So they don't have a traditional big. So it's going to benefit them to play with that style of play too. Um, And, you know, maybe they'll shock some people. We'll see.
Yeah, no doubt. We will we will see uh, that three and zero start. I mean, God, if they don't go three and zero, it's going to be a lot of things wrong with this team. But I think that three and zero start will kind of tell us what we need to know rotation wise and kind of a little bit more about these transfers and other newcomers that um, could make an impact for this year. Yeah, so let's go to the other side, which is a program that does have expectation year over year over year um, in Maryland women's basketball and talk about their expectations and what, what we see playing out for their, them uh, this season. Um, so Maryland women's basketball um, is coming off a, a, a year where they people predicted and thought that they had a legitimate chance of winning the national championship. A lot went wrong last season, and you saw that when the transfer portal opened up and a lot of players left. Of course, Ashley Ayusu, the star um uh, point guard left for them, and then Angel Reese left as well. Maybe they're two best players, but Brenda Freeze, as she does, the legendary coach that she is, she replenished in the transfer portal. Diamond Miller stuck around, and she had an up-and-down, injury-riddled season last year, but she's, by all accounts, healthy and ready to go and and, and could be deemed for a breakout year. She was just ranked 21st in the country by ESPN's uh, National College uh, ranking. She was, she was t- the 21st best player in the country. And of course, you bring in the transfer that everybody's talking about in Abby Myers from Princeton, um, Ivy League player of the year. She's phenomenal. She, she may be the best player right there with um, Diamond Miller this season. Um, she has a ton of collegiate basketball experience. She's really talented. Um, Cheyenne Sellers is back. Faith Mastonis is coming off an injury. She's a returner. Um, she's she she was she had played a key role off the bench for Maryland when she was healthy the past couple of years. I don't exactly know what her role would be this year, but that experience when you have such an influx in transfers coming in to try to try to build the culture and build that program, having a player like Faith who's who's been around and knows Brenda's culture, knows Brenda's system, that's really important as well. And we'll see how how much she progresses and plays after the injury, but she's healthy and, and active. Um, what are your overall expectations? expectations for this for this Maryland women's basketball team that went through a ton of change this offseason yeah the thing with Brenda Freeze even with change she's proven that she can kind of reload and reset with this group uh, you mentioned all those players also Lavender Briggs transferred from Florida she was injured last year got to the team midseason she averaged 20 a game two years ago so another another big piece that'll likely be in that that starting five for the Terps um, already had an exhibition against I think Frostburg State division two or three the beat him by almost a hundred points now, like 70 points. But um, like you mentioned, I think this, this starting five is going to be pretty good. I think retaining a core of Cheyenne Sellers, Diamond Miller, and then Faith Masonis is a big deal for this team because you have that familiarity and, and people that can show these, these transfers that are in uh, a bunch of transfers, Abby Myers, Lavender Briggs, uh, Brianna Alexander, um, Eliza Pinson, who's going to play a point at times. Um, and then obviously a big freshman class as well, uh, a bunch of four stars there as well. So this is a talented roster, one that will take some time to mesh similarly to the men's team, um, not in the sense that, you know, they're going to be, I don't think, at the same talent level. I think this the women's team is going to be a lot better than the men's team this year. And it's kind of the same thing every year that we've become accustomed to with this schedule. Um, the first week of the season, next Friday, Maryland's hosting South Carolina, going to be the number one team in the land, the, the reigning national champions. They're going to play at Baylor again. Um, they're going to play at Notre Dame. They're going to play UConn at home again. So this is just a gauntlet uh, like we've seen pretty much every year with this program. I think Brennan does a good job kind of setting expectations early. And we yeah, look, we see Maryland's the number 17 team in the country right now. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Brenda overachieves with this roster and, and they end up being a top 10 team in the country because nothing she does and nothing this program does can really surprise people at this point anymore. Yeah, and, and that's just the reputation that she's built because of how much success that she's had 
um, over the years. And, and I agree that I think this team might surprise people as well. But the thing about it is um, the big, the big 10 is better than it's been in years past. I saw some, some projections. Maryland's only projected fourth and Maryland's really had their way with the big 10 since they've came in. They've really dominated. Of course, last year it was a little disappointing. Um, I think it was, I believe it was the first, first round exit in the big 10 tournament um, since since they moved to the Big Ten last year, which of course was a disappointing season all around for a bunch of reasons, but um, the Big Ten is good this year, so they're they're going to be challenging the Big Ten. It's not going to be um, all rainbows as they move forward with the Big Ten schedule. There's going to be some challenging mashups, and that's good. You, you want to play the best competition that can prepare you for the postseason. And as the season goes on, you want to be playing your best basketball later in the season uh, when March comes around. And so the fact that they have such a difficult Big Ten. Um, schedule because the Big Ten's better this year. And then, of course, I start with Iowa and Caitlin Clark, and she's still around. She's phenomenal and, and a lot of fun to watch. But then you talk about South Carolina, Baylor, UConn, some of the best programs in the country um, year year after year. And you've South Carolina and UConn at home, which should be great environments, a lot of fan attendance for those, I'm sure. That's a month apart. November 11th is South Carolina, and then December 11th is UConn. Um, but th- th- those are tough matchups and you want to play the best competition that can prepare you and build, build your team as this goes on, because it's really going to be a roster that's going to take some time to gel, take some time to mesh, but it, I believe it will. And, and there's been stories that Brenda Freeze has brought them on retreats, um, like, like just team retreats so they could have team bonding activities and do team bonding together, which is important. Of course, the more you gel off the court, the more you, you'll gel on the court. Um, so I think it's, it's, there's not like as much expectation as, and the, as there's been in the last few years for Brenda Freeze's program. But like you said, I agree that, that that could be a good thing. And she could, she could blow those expectations, whatever they are out of the water. Yeah. Freeze and Maryland have kind of changed the the narrative around the big 10, you know, Maryland has dominated the conference year in and year out, but they didn't lift the trophy last year. And they're the fourth highest ranked team in the big 10 this year in the AP top 25. And I think that's just a reflection of what, Maryland has done since coming to the Big Ten and just dominating every single other team that other programs have had to adjust and kind of maybe mimic what Maryland has done a little bit in, in the transfer portal and getting good recruits and kind of changing the style of play to this up-tempo, we'll score 100 points a game on you. Um, so the Big Ten is also really good. It's, I'm happy you mentioned that, Sam, because I think similar to like what we've seen in other sports where Maryland's non-revenue teams have come in and dominated and then the conference has gotten better as a reflection – be it like men's lacrosse or, or field hockey, women's basketball has been the same way on a more national scale where Maryland has dominated and it's been their conference since joining the Big Ten. But that's not the case anymore because there's a hell of a lot of other superstars and really good players and really good teams around the league still as well. Yeah, and look, Maryland, even though they're ranked fourth by in a lot of those rankings, they still can easily win the Big Ten. And I think a lot of people might expect them to. Um, and it's just it's just a new roster, and as the year goes on, we'll start to click, and you'll see Abby Myers start to adjust to to Big Ten basketball, and she'll become one of the best players in the league alongside Diamond Miller in that backcourt. Um, so I just think I I, I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people. Without a doubt, I I would agree with that as well. I think this is a team. I wouldn't be shocked if if they rebounded and won the Big Ten championship. Um, and look, the, like I'm, you mentioned the environment at those games at the Xfinity Center, too. What an opportunity that is if, if you win at least one of those games at home against either South Carolina or UConn. That kind of changes the narrative around this team early from maybe the number 17 team to a top 10 team and potentially a, a Big Ten favorite 
I think the the that preseason ranking is more of a reflection of the unknown than it is, you know, what people may expect from this Maryland team. Because once they mesh, they, they could be a, a force to be reckoned with and, and a potential Big Ten champion again. Yeah. All right. So we went really long today. Um, Had to. Because there, because there was a lot to get to. I mean, Maryland was off a of, Maryland football was off a of bye. They have a huge game and a huge stretch coming up. Maryland basketball season and women's basketball, men's and women's basketball season is starting uh, next week. There's a lot to get to, and, and we'll talk about it all next week, too. We'll preview Maryland football at Penn State. We'll talk about the Wisconsin game in the following week, and Maryland's basketball seasons will have been underway, so we'll talk about that, too. So we went long, but we appreciate everyone listening, and we'll talk to you next week.